They say a full moon distorts our perceptions, clouds our judgment, makes fools of us all. Is that the way it was with you too, my lovers? Did the moonbeams blind you to the truth? All right. Welcome back, friends. Welcome back. It's time for another episode, a Forever Night episode, season two, episode 14, Baby Baby. Baby baby. And we have officially we have officially passed the halfway mark. Woo! We are now halfway through Forever Night in its entirety. Unless we decide to do the fan created fourth season. Which we may uh, a live reenactment. Oh, wow. That'd be of really funny. Four? Yeah, you do all the male voices and I'll do all the female voices. Yeah. And we'll add like sound effects, like walking. Graphic audio. Graphic audio. There you go. Graphic audio season four with our our best Patreon as the narrator. (laughs) Our best Patreon. Our our current highest tier Patreon. Yeah. Yes. Hi, Meg. Um, (laughs) I don't know. I don't know if she would agree to that or not, but wow, that would be real. Wow. Okay, that's something that had not occurred to me. That'd be an interesting Kickstarter. Put up there like you go. if we can get a thousand bucks or something <laughs> really small. I can't imagine. I don't know. I don't know. I always feel like this fandom is um alive and well, but only because I've been in it for so long. And it's hard for me to gain perspective. You know what I mean? I don't Well, it has actively recruited new members. That's true. That is true. Yes. And it's, there are definitely television shows that have been lost to time. And yet this one has not. I think it's because nobody's done it again. It hasn't been rebooted. Right. I mean, we had Moonlight. Gritty reboot. We had Moonlight, which if anything is a gritty reboot, maybe Moonlight was. I don't know. I don't know. That's a whole other story. And then there's Angel. But of course, Angel's a spinoff of Buffy. And really the only thing they have in common is like Angel is sad and he's a detective, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm just going to leave that there because that's a lot for me to process and I need to think about it and come back to it. And I don't want to think about anything heavy while we're talking about the world's best Nick the Brick episode. If if yep. you were in doubt about his nickname, you are not any longer you're not. But before we get into it, hi, I'm Rachel. And I'm Matt. Welcome to Come... Oh, God damn it. Is it This Is? This Is. This Is. This Is. Come in, 81 Kilo. Right. <laughs> kind of did it again. We have too many podcasts. 
We have too many podcasts. I or need, not enough. Or not enough, maybe. And we need people to join the patron Patreon so I can hire a media coordinator, somebody who does all the social media stuff so I can keep up with it. <laughs> I'm like six episodes behind on announcing new episodes. But I figure it'll be new to somebody. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I was remiss in mentioning something that I intended to mention last time. And it's worthwhile for me to go back and talk about it. But at the very beginning of Crazy Love... Skanky hands a piece of evidence to somebody and he goes, hey, can you give this to Artie in forensics? Remember Artie from Dead Issue, the episode where we had an inexplicable number of secondary characters with names? Yes. And he goes, here, Art, what do you, he calls him Arnold or something. And he goes, uh, it's Artie Officer Shank. Yeah. Yeah. He survived. I, I guess. I mean, look he at that. survived that episode. That's continuity right there. I felt Woo! like I needed to put that in there. We have a character that has a name in two episodes, which are approximately two years apart. That's, All right. That's continuity right there. This episode was directed by Garrett Wynn Davies. Hmm. And it is a, a real showcase for our new close-up camera. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> Somebody... Either Garant was giving them instructions on what to do differently. Yeah. Avant-garde filming <laughs> techniques. Avant-garde. <laughs> in that, uh, okay, or, please ignore the camera that's six inches from your face. Or in the case of LaCroix a couple of times, like two inches from your eye the entire time. Yeah. 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 Either, either Garant was just really going out there getting people to try new things or the somebody was on the film crew and their boss was out and they're like, uh, I think we could do it this way. Their boss was out. (laughs) It's like, it's like the golden era of Disney when they closed down that one, there's a time period in Disney where they closed down one of the animation studios and we moved everything to their backup studios, which is when we get Atlantis, we get treasure planet, we get Lilo and stitch. We get, all of the a cool whole bunch of really, really good Disney movies stories. that don't have like a princess. They're right. your Disney movies that are not Disney movies. As we think of Disney movies. And it feels a little bit like that. Like, okay, let's play a little bit. Also, I think in season one, we had a lot more close ups and it gave us more of a, um, a, like a gritty intimate feel if that makes any sense but you felt more like close up to the characters you felt more in the, we, we've done a lot of far shots and I think we've lost a lot of the like connection to the characters in the way that we've lost like our fuck me energy with yeah. Jeanette and and Nick and so I think getting up in everybody's face again is an attempt to recapture that a little bit and it kind of works this, this feels like a very close episode yeah the plot doesn't make a ton of sense, but it feels real. It feels tight and concise and like we're all on the same path the entire time. And it doesn't feel kind of wibbly wobbly. I don't know. That's yeah, the, just my the take plot on is it. coherent, but not nec- but not plausible. It's plausible. If you think of Nick as um if you think of Nick as like an immortal uh an immortal dude bro, I don't know how you want to put that. Just like a like a himbo. A, a, <laughs> <laughs> he is a bit of a himbo, okay? He's like the original himbo, the, the like OG himbo. The OG himbo. The I am more handsome and debonair than I am uh wise. 
Yeah. 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 I, I sort of move through life. I, uh, I'd say he's in. an exceptionally moral, but unwise, foolish character. Foolish character. Yeah. He's got, well, he might be wise, but he's low in intelligence. Let's put it that way. He's got his, he fails his intelligence check for this entire episode. And really, he only needed to ask a qualifying question. And I think this well, is. Well, I'd say Im- that was wisdom. Well, this is an important point to define, equivocate the word equivocate. Equivocate. Yes. Same word. Same word. Making sure you are talking about the same thing when, when you're talking to somebody. When you're using the same words, making sure that you mean the same thing. Or whether you mean something different with the same word. And Nick is absolute rubbish at equivocation. horrible. We just learned that in Crazy Love when he was talking to the psychologist. He was talking to Shauna Welsh. And they she is talking about Peter Barlow. And Nick is talking about Nick. Yep. That's not equivocation. That's having parallel conversations that sound the same. And he does the same thing in this episode because... Again, he's absolute shit at equivocation. And in this case, uh, or it, at it's res- pretty catastrophic. He's shit at resolving equivocation. Yeah, he's shit at resolving equivocation. He, he doesn't even think about maybe we're talking about two different things. Everything, is, he's in that way, he's very self-centered. Yes. Yeah, because he moves through life cashing in all of his, I'm just a hot dude, I get what I want shit. And the only, the only way I'm actually like, solving novel problems is because I've had so many problems over 800 years, you know, you're bound to figure it out. Eventually figure it out. Eventually. (laughs) You hope, you hope. And so he encounters these problems in the line of his work. And he's like, Oh man, this has happened to me like a hundred times. And the last time it happened to me, I figured it out. Finally. Guys, I got I'm it. I'm going to reuse the knowledge I gained from that. Yeah. Successful resolution of that problem. Right. And apply it here. And man, oh, I'm a great detective. I am so fucking good at this. <laughs> <laughs> and I think this, this episode is interesting for two reasons. One, it's our, 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 like, this is Nick the Brick in a, like, neat little package. But also, this is the one time... Where just being a hot dude around women who are interested in dudes is not enough to get him what he wants. Every other time he comes in contact with a woman, it's immediately like, oh, Officer Knight, thank you. Thank you so much. Like in Crazy Love, when he shows up in that woman's room and she literally turns around and is like, oh, thank God, you're a hot guy. Oh, yes, please save me from the creepy serial killer outside my door. That doesn't happen in this episode because Serena is not playing ball. She does not give a shit that he is handsome and loaded and that they one time had a That's thing. what got her into this problem. That's what got her into this mess. She's not going to do that again. So I guess we should get into the plot now that we've we've equivocated on where we're <laughs> we've going rambled. with this. Oh, no, we didn't ramble. Oh, it is important to note Forever Night is no longer on Prime. Oh, no. So if you were streaming it on Prime, you can't stream it there anymore. But you can get pick up the entire three seasons for like $27 on DVD on Amazon. I will say that that version does not have subtitles. So if you need subtitles, you're going to have to spring for the slightly more expensive ones. 
but it's also streaming on the Roku channel with ads, which if you think about it, is the way it was intended to be viewed. So just imagine you're watching it the way you would have watched it in the 90s, which is with commercials. But we start out at this construction. I wonder if they reuse the re- the same commercial. I was breaks. wondering that, and I almost thought I should watch it with commercials, just so I will have watched it with commercials. And then I thought <laughs> I'm I have a problem, <laughs> and then I didn't watch it. I just watched it on my set of DVDs. So we start out at the construction site. This construction site at night. And Matt and I rewound it and watched it twice so that he could catch it. But you see the guy fall. He, like, falls you in the background. You hear a yell. He goes, Aah! And you see something fall in the background. <laughs> it kind of reminds me of, you know those guns you used to have? And they would make different noises. And every time you pulled the trigger, oh, they yeah. made it. And one would go, like that. And so all these guys are standing at a snack, like a snack bar. Yeah, Which, it's like a food truck. What a great idea this is. You just roll up, lift the side, and you're like, I want snacks. And so there's a snack bar, and this guy falls behind it, and they're all like, oh, what was that? And then we cut to Nick driving up in his Cadillac. Which, for once, Nick is the last one there. Yeah, because Genki's already there. And Nick, I think this is really interesting, immediately gives us a timestamp because we've had two episodes back-to-back where people are working really implausible hours. And Nick is like, oh, are they working around the clock here? And Skanky goes, yeah, the plant shut down. Will they bring it up to standard or something? So we immediately get like a... Um, a justification. A justification for why everybody is there at night. An alibi. Right. And when he arrives in the Cadillac, and I want to take a moment to address his outfit, because he is wearing a navy jacket, a black shirt... And then what can only be described as like a mustard brown vest, like a Dijon vest, one might say. What is this color combination? It's so 90s. It's like, well, if it's dark, dark and light, then it's fine. Normally you don't wear navy with black. If you say so. Or brown with black. It's like the three colors you don't normally wear together in an outfit. I know you're looking at me like that's not a thing. It's a thing, okay? If you say so. I just wanted to point it out because we have continued our vest. We are committed to the vest. And this is the most obvious vest because it's I'm, such a I'm imagining color. them being like, okay, Gare, here's your outfit. And he's like, okay, I'm going to go get dressed. And then he shows up just on set after they started filming. <laughs> and they're like. With the vest added. I'm not going to tell him. I'm not going to. Nope. Yeah, maybe it was like a, oh, that'd be really funny. If you got cast in a show like this and you just kept adding a vest to every outfit and literally nobody told you about it, nobody talked to you about it, um, someday we'll do the Island of Dr. Moreau, the newer one, the one mm-hmm. from the 90s with Firuza Balk. Oh, but Marlon Brando plays Dr. Morale. Dr. Morale. Morale. And he was, he was like legendarily difficult to work with on the set. And so at a certain point, it was so hot and he was so fucking tired of being hot and being on this stupid set. He started wearing an ice bucket full of ice on his head while they were filming. And so they tried to get him to take it off. And he was like, no, Dr. Morale has grafted a small animal onto his head and he doesn't want anybody to know about it. So he wears the ice bucket to keep everybody from knowing that he has a tiny animal attached to his head. And they just went with it. And they were like... Sure, Mr. Brando, that's fine. And they just let him wear it because <laughs> he was so fucking difficult. They were just like, whatever. So this is the equivalent of a 
ice bucket, but a vest, one might say. Well, I don't, I don't know if it was because he was difficult oh, I'm not, to work with. Yeah, no, no, I'm not saying it was because he was. Oh, I, you're, I just, you're just think it was one like a joke. A, like a just completely off the wall yes. after decision. Yeah, to just wear a vest and literally nobody said anything. Yeah. That'd be interesting to know. So Nick is basically like, um, why are we here? If he jumped off the top of a building, is that qualify as a homicide? And Skanky's like, well, the guys who got to him first say he said he was pushed. And we did see it like pan up and there was a guy standing at yeah, the top of the tank. There was a silhouette, tank. yeah. yeah. Uh, and Nick is like, uh, is that seriously that's what he said? And Skanky's like, well, he gurgled. They're it, not quite sure they're it not was sure. his last breath. It was his last breath, so he kind of got pushed. <laughs> he gurgled it. Uh, okay. And Nick is like, well, all right. And then he finds this cross on the ground. And I always love it when he sees a cross and he does the like, ah, ah, ah. Oh, it hurts. Get the cross. And he picks it up with a pen as usual, not taking a photo of where it was laying, not marking the spot where it was, just picking it up with a pen and being like, oh, I think this is evidence, Skanky. And Skanky comes over and puts it in a baggie. Um, and No, they just put it in their pocket. This is also the, yeah, in a handkerchief. Just wrap it in a handkerchief and stick it in your pocket. Yeah. This is also the third episode in a row where Skanky has pontificated about death. We had near death where he was facing his own mortality because Myra was having a birthday party. Right. I was anticipating a more rhetoric-heavy skanky episode yeah. based on his initial lines. Right. And then in the ne- last one, Crazy Love, um, at the very end, he's like, well, that's it. I've bought the farm. I've, um, He makes a bunch of death references. And then he's like, oh, time for breakfast? And then in this one, he's like, wow, what a horrible way to go. Three seconds feels like three hours. Your life flashes before your eyes. You know you're going to die and there's nothing you can do to stop it. Are you okay, Skanky? Uh, Skanky. Are you okay, man? Do you need some... Th- you, you need to go talk to... Is there, a, is there a therapist who works with the department? Because I have a feeling you need to ask Cohen for some time to go see them. But we kind of pan into the back as they're looking at the cross and Skanky's talking. And there's a woman standing with this group of construction workers. And she's clearly also a construction worker. She has a hat, like a constru- a hard hat, construction hat, a hard hat. And she has on flannel. So obviously, obviously, she's, obviously she's a construction worker. So she like drops her hat and whoosh, we hear a whoosh sound. And Nick also hears a whoosh sound. But Nick sound. is standing right there. So who whooshed? While Nick whooshes in response to her whoosh, while Skanky is still talking to him. Nick! Why does he keep on doing this to me? And where did he go? He's in the middle of like, he's he's standing (laughs) there. I know, he's just talking to Nick, just rambling some stuff off, and then turns around. Yeah. And Nick's gone. And it's not like they're alone at this construction site. There is a line of dudes standing there watching them. Did Nick just whoosh in front of everybody? Did he run behind all of those people and then whoosh? Uh, duh. Inquiring minds want to know, where did he whoosh from? And at this point, it's just more people to add to the list just, I know. that have witnessed You know, we haven't been able to add anybody to the list in a while because he hasn't, like, taken people out as a vampire in a while. Yeah, that really hasn't happened in season two. Uh Uh-uh. Not like it did in season one where it felt like every single episode he was vamping out and snarling at people and clotheslining them and... (laughs) 
But Skanky is like, oh, yeah, you know, there's this guy. His name was Stan. He's the dead dude. He had a beef with this guy named Trilling. But Trilling says he was with his girlfriend at the time when this guy fell. And I got to tell you, Nick, his girlfriend's really hot. She's just, she's hot. And she's got a French accent. And that's when he turns around and he's like, Nick, Nick. And then he goes, why does he keep doing this to me? <laughs> like, where poor did Skanky. he go? <laughs> I know, poor Skanky. Skanky gets ditched a lot in this episode. But Nick has ditched him for a very good reason because he's about to have an alley showdown with another vampire. We get like a Wild Wild West shot where the camera is really low and they're like running super speed. You can tell because they're all blurry. (laughs) And one of them stops and it's like seen through their legs that the other vampire is still running out the other end of the alley. And they end up confronting each other. And of course, they're so jazzed by this the the hunt the that, chase. that they both have the the vampire eyes. Well, they have to have the vampire eyes when they're running super speed. Yeah. D- do they? Yeah, and that's okay. that's part of you have to <clears throat> when you activate the superhuman abilities. Canonically? Yeah, the yeah. the fangs and the eyes come out. Well, there's no fangs, just the eyes. Probably so they can have a conversation. Ooh, maybe maybe they're re- when they're masked as human, they're human masked eyesight doesn't work well at high speed Mm. and so just to be able to keep up with their surroundings so they don't run into a wall they got to put on the night vision filter yeah they got to put on the night vision and um i wonder how many times nick has run into a wall (laughs) considering it's nick not zero (laughs) (laughs) so after this showdown they like they finally meet and nick is like serena i thought it was you why did you run and she goes because i knew it was you but a history oh my god that was so long did that feel long we've had some long cold openings maybe it's because i don't know we used to just get the crime and then after the intro, we've got Nick and Skanky. But we've been getting Nick and Skanky in the cold opening. Maybe that's why it feels so long. Because now we're finally into the intro. After we've met the second vampire and we realize that he and They she... want to set the hook for the viewer before the... there's There'll be the intro and then there'll be a commercial break after that. And yeah. they're probably like, ah, we're losing people after the intro and the commercial break. Because the intro's not interesting enough maybe we haven't had a lot of unsolved crimes where we have like an infinite pool of suspects that we have to narrow down we've had a lot of okay here's our crime here's the person who obviously did it and now we need to figure out how to prove that they did it maybe that's why i don't know but obviously these two have history and when we come back um everybody has been caught I guess. And we're back at the precinct and we're doing our like chit chat, interview, interrogation. That's the word. That's the word. You got it. Thank you. So clearly Stan and Trilling were not friends. And we talked to Trilling a little bit and he's like, yeah, that cross was mine. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't know, know I how lost it ended it. up on the ground next to the dead guy. Yeah, I lost it. I don't know. Stan was a dick. Maybe he stole it and didn't tell me. And that's how it ended up next to him. I don't know. The chain was broken. Oh, cool. I don't care. 
And we're getting these really close like pan and scan where we like start just to the side of their head and then like scan past their face as they're talking. And they have this like, I don't know how to describe this because it's, it's the intern film person. I don't know. It's just, just trying stuff out. They're like fuzzy almost. It, it looks like old school. Um, like the Boca dream filter. Yeah. The weird like fuzzy luminous filter on these close-up shots especially nick it's almost uncomfortable how weirdly like fuzzy and glowy he looks when we do the zoom in on his face um and then of course we have serena and for some reason skanky has been assigned to talk to serena nick is talking to trilling but skanky is talking to serena I guess because Nick was like, I can't talk to her. We have a well, history. Well, Nick's in the like observation room. Well, Serena, she talking. keeps looking at Nick. Yeah, through the one-way mirror. Because she can see through the glass and right. she can hear what he and Natalie are talking about. Right. So Skanky is like, oh, what do you do? Like, why, why were you there? And she was like, well, I worked there and I was hanging out with my boyfriend. And he's like, well, what do you do when you hang out with your boyfriend? And she's like, uh, you know, certain intimate consensual things. Would you like me to describe them? And Skanky's like, nope, good. I don't need you to. Thanks. I'm all right. I'm mm-hmm. good. And yes, Serena keeps looking over at Nick. Like, yeah, I was having sex with another dude. Right, Nick? You know, like you do have sex with random people. And Nick is just standing there like, Ugh. I'm uncomfortable for some uh, some reason that I haven't disclosed yet. Oh, the, yeah. So then Natalie shows up. Oh, yeah. And Natalie's like, oh, Cohen talks to Natalie for a minute. And she's like, so what are your findings? And she's like, well, he died from a fall. I don't know what to tell you. Like, there, There's no signs that it, he was pushed. Yeah, there's no sign. He had contusions, a broken neck. Clearly, he died from a he, bad He does fall. have some stuff under his fingernails. Right. And so she's gotten Calvin Trilling's DNA. Um, and she's going to compare it, do a PCR DNA, DNA comparison. With the stuff that she found underneath Stan's fingernails. So, you know, if they match, then Trilling's our guy. Okay, great. Like, that's... Did you like that little bit of police work? Because that's that's about as good as it's going to get. <laughs> Natalie solves this case just with, like... Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then we go back and we're talking to Serena. And she's explaining that she's a welder. And Skanky's like, a welder? Really? And she's like, why? Does that surprise you? he's like, yeah, a little bit. She goes, why? Do I seem too intelligent? So uh, what is it you do? I'm a welder, detective. A welder? Does that surprise you? No, it's just that you're so... Intelligent. I didn't say that. Feminine? Well, the work, it's kind of... Pays 25 an hour. (sighs) 25? Really? Pays that much? Uh... Okay, and then this, he, this he's is like, how you this is how you defeat the patriarchy. Is yeah, you call out the misogynistic bullshit. Yeah, why? Why do you oh, think wait, I can't ex- be a welder? Oh, can, can you explain, explain that, that to me? me? Yeah, yeah. She's like, is I it don't understand. I'm, is it because I'm too intelligent? Is it because I'm too feminine? I make twenty five an hour, which would be about seventy five an hour now. And Skanky's like, really? You make that much? And she's like, yeah, I'm good at my job. And Nick's like, mm, I bet she is. <laughs> <laughs> and this is when Natalie picks up the the Nick the vibe, the vibe, because um, actually Natalie says, "I bet she is," because Natalie makes a comment, and Serena looks over at Nick yes. through the glass, and Natalie's like, "Oh snap, do you know her?" And Nick is like, "I did. 
a long time ago. How long ago, Nick? <laughs> How long ago? And he's like, uh, long enough to know that she's a she's a determined woman. And Natalie's like, yeah, is that like a bad thing? Are we saying that like that's a bad thing? And he's like, no, it's just that she won't stop at anything until she gets what she wants. And um, Nick says, yeah, and I don't know what that is. I vaguely recall a line like Natalie saying, like, what is she to you? And he says, a, a mistake. mistake. Yeah, he goes, a mistake. She's a mistake. That's what she is. Wow, that's generous. Oof. Thanks. Thanks, Nick. And so here I picked up. Wait, did Nick make another person a vampire? I know, Mick goes... <laughs> what the heck, Nick? <laughs> Matt goes, seriously, did Nick make her to a vampire? I was like, hey, it's going to get so good. Because then we go to a flashback. And this is Serena. This Okay, so this is a wild, wild choice, right? Because we have Serena. But it's Serena in a tuxedo. And the setting, we have to assume, is like 1920s-ish, given the, given the garb. Like the dress yeah. that her friend is wearing. And she's hanging out with her pregnant friend and an unnamed male dude who is clearly just there to ask the pertinent questions like, um, all you need is a husband, but you're not going to get a husband in that outfit. And Serena's like, yeah, but have you ever considered that that might be the reason why I'm wearing this? It's because I don't want a douchebag like you? It's nature, Serena. All you have to do is find the husband. <laughs> Not dressed like that, she won't. <laughs> Did it ever occur to you, Armand, that that might be the idea? This is a uh, this is a filter. It's a uh, birth control. It's birth control, exactly, because she has a friend who has a baby, and she's like mesmerized by this baby. She puts her hand on her stomach, and her friend is like, "You can have one too. All you need is a husband. We don't really need a husband. She just needs one thing, but." That's fine. It's the 1920s. She just needs two to three minutes. Yeah. <laughs> two to three minutes. <laughs> <laughs> so roughly the length of time she gets with Nick, I suppose. Um, and she's like, yeah, you know, I, I don't know. I, I don't. That's not me right now. I'm, I'm in my cool tux era. And she goes over to the bar to get another drink. And she asks the bartender for another drink. And then that's when Nick walks in the door. Nick and his and fabulous ascot. Isn't that an ascot? The thing in his neck. She can't. She can't keep her eyes off his ascot. His ascot, exactly. And she's like, "Whatever he's having, it's on me." So we immediately have Serena taking on. If you consider, if you buy into the binary, more of a male role, a masculine, a masculine yeah, when, role. Yeah, I think it's useful to use the words masculine and feminine when you're trying to kind of break out of the binary. Gender yeah. roles, yeah, because masculine and feminine have a little bit more distance language wise, yeah, to more abstract concepts, right? So, so, okay, societally, this is a masculine role the the picking up the of the other person, overtness of her way that she is um, making her attraction known, right? She's making the moves, she's making the advance onto right. the other party, right? Who in this yeah. case is Nick. And Nick goes up to the bar and he gets a wine or something. His usual. His usual from Emil. And he's like, no, no, it's already taken care of. And Nick goes, um, why would that gentleman over there want to buy me a and drink? And she has perfect timing here. Because she just as Nick is like, why would that gentleman buy me a drink? And then Serena just slowly turns around. 
yeah. and locks eyes with him. Right, because the bartender goes, look again, my friend. <laughs> and so Nick looks over and she's like, me? Oh, little old me. And, and Nick's like, ooh. Yeah. She's not the average woman. Oh, I am I'm, intrigued. I'm intrigued. As a not particularly feminine presenting woman, I definitely appreciate the fact that she is both sexually attractive and portrayed as masculine in this episode. At no point do we seek to feminize her. She has longer hair in the present, but she's never wearing like, she never gets dolled up to be attractive. And by dolled up, I mean more feminine presenting. She actually gets to continue to present the way she wants to, but still gets to be sexually attractive, which is an interesting thing for them to try to do using the, the ni- 90s, using especially. the 90s language that they have to work with in this situation. Um, and we find out from Cohen at this point, because they're kind of having a powwow in Cohen's office, that Trilling is basically a serial petty criminal. He's in and out of the system. He's got a lot of charges on his record. Um, nothing like homicide but clearly he's a a someone who's been in and out of the system before there's a pattern of behavior there's a pattern of behavior and natalie's like ugh, what could she possibly see in trilling and this is when serena and calvin trilling are leaving and nick walks up to her and he's like serena wait she's like um i'm pretty sure i don't have shit to say to you So I just need you to fucking go, okay? And Nick's like, can we go somewhere and talk? talk? Can we go somewhere private and talk? And she's like, how about, let me check my watch. Um, Fucking no. And he tries the arm grab, the Nick pat. He's already grabbed her arm once. He grabs her arm to get her to turn around. And then he tries to do the above the elbow grab that he likes to do to like steer steer women. To either look at him or go where he wants him to go or whatever. He does it a lot. And we but do- he does it in front of the entire police department. And she she does what a woman should do. Yeah. She like loudly lets everybody know yeah. that a man's putting some bullshit on her. Yeah. She's like, don't you fucking touch me. Don't you fucking dare touch me ever again. Yep. You are not allowed to do that. You don't get to do that to me. And Nick is like, oops. Oh, okay. He does not know what to do. This always works. He- Nick, Nick's going to have to go do some sensitivity training. Yeah, he should after this. But everyone's just kind of like, oh, look the other way. Oh, that was awkward. Mm. And then we cut to the nightcrawler, of course, because LaCroix has to rub salt in this wound. Oh man! He senses a weakness, and he's just got to go for it because he can't help it. He's a natural so here, predator. I think here's where we really start to get different vibes from Garrett Wynn Davies being the director. Ah, because we're getting some symbolism thrown in. Yeah, because Lacroix's there, but Lacroix's not actually there with him. It's just the seeming yeah. of Lacroix being there with him because he's. Having he's having an emotion right now, right? And so Lacroix is putting it into words, and he's saying, like, you know, are you in pain tonight? Did you have a severed limb? Did you get disemboweled or something? Or is it something that really hurts, like getting your heart broken? Yeah, like wounds of the heart is what he calls it, mistakes of the heart that we all make. 
in the name of love. <laughs> I think love is such an interesting take on this because he knows her for like, oh, um, one night ever. Well, it's implied that they spend a lot of time chatting at the bar. Right. It's basically and that, you know. Like it, the it's like he he saw himself, like the the desire to break out of you know, the norms that you're being constrained into, where in his case, it's vampirism. Yeah. And he's trying to be a, a human. And she's trying to be just an autonomous, sovereign individual <laughs> <laughs> in, when she has a vagina in the 1920s. Right. So they're both, you know, striving to become <laughs> the more that they want to be. Right, yes. Against the the social norms that are, you know, constraining them. Yeah. And he's like, ah, a kindred spirit. Yes. Except yes. he is trying not to wantonly murder people and she's just trying to like, I don't know, be able to vote. Okay. Or or be able to use her singing abilities just for being able to do that. And she says like she wouldn't be able to do that if she was dressed as a in an if she was in a dress. Right. That's because we go into another flashback. And so we're getting some more of what they like what they went through together. Um, how they met and we're getting the setup for whatever this tension is that we're feeling right now. Yeah. And she sits next to him and he's like, So what's up with the um what's up with the tux? And she's like, Why? Does it make you uncomfortable? Is it because I I don't look like a woman and I, I I'm doing that deliberately because Maybe I don't want to be treated like a woman. Maybe I want to Wait, be treated like he says, a person. You, you have a beautiful voice for a man. Yeah, because she's singing yeah. to him. Because she's singing um, Baby. Oh, I thought she had been like performing. No. Oh, okay. No, she's just singing to him when she walks up. And he's okay. like, oh, you have a beautiful voice for a man. And he's Wink. like, <laughs> she's like, yeah, does that bother you? That I'm That I'm a woman and I'm not... Oh, she says, I don't want people to see me as a woman because then they think I'm this delicate flower that needs to be protected or I'm going to clean their kitchen or some shit like that. And Nick's like, lucky for you, I don't eat food. I don't need anyone to clean my kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> um, and Nick says, I like things in life that are not what they, no, she says it. I like things in life that are not what they appear to be. Like you, for instance. And Nick is like, go on. You know what I am. Oh, we're we're having a conversation about my favorite person in the world. Me? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Me? <laughs> Go on. I've how did you know? I love talking about Nick. <laughs> He's like, hold on, you know what I am? And she's like, Yeah. You're a man of the night. I've investigated you. And he's like, Oh. And here's where the Equivoc here's where the equivocation <laughs> yes. starts. And Nick does not pick up on it. Here's where I question like, do you know what? I am, can you please state it explicitly, would have been helpful. Because instead, she's like, you're a man of the night. You're a traveler. You're not interested in long-term commitment or marriage. And you don't want a family. And he's like, oh, correction. I would love a family, but that's not something I can have right now. And she's like, that's good. I'll take that. Like, I, I have other obligations. Yeah. And she's like, actually, it kind of turns out that you're the perfect man for me. And I've looked all over Paris for you. And Nick is like... I feel so oh, fucking seen. Say more. I feel so fucking seen right now. Can you tell me more right, about so me? <laughs> I was like, oh, wow. Like, Nick is really like into this because finally 
here's someone who is attracted to him. To him. To him because of what everything that he is. He's like, oh, man. Like, she's into me because of everything. Like, she's accepting every part of who I am. Yeah, all these things that I see as flaws. All these things "Mm -hmm." that I normally have to hide. Like, she already knows and she still wants me. Oh, man. This, like, this is... This will be such a like free relationship with her. Yeah. I'm totally into this. This is what every man wants. Didn't we just watch the Barbie movie where he's like, can can you be my long-term low commitment girlfriend? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, this is the um, kind of the ideal that gets encapsulated in the manic pixie dream girl. Mm-hmm. The, I, I am a manic crazy attractive woman and i will adopt you and fix you and love you without you having to change any part of yourself or do any work at all is there a variation on that trope where it's you know i'm i can see everything that you are i like i myself am quirky whatever yeah and i can see who you are but i also see what you could be and i'm going to help like nudge you towards that i'd say um, that's that, that's that would still be the manic the, pixie dream world because that's what it is is the idea there's like the toxic version where it's like you don't have to change anything about who you are i will just be everything that you need me to be yeah but then there's the i'm going to be everything that you need me to be in the sense of pushing you to grow in the direction toward your better self I mean, and that's, that's like the the less toxic, more I think positive that, yeah, version. Yeah, but of that. I think that's still a subset of like the manic pixie dream girl. Because yeah. you're there, talking about there may something not be like a nuance like the, garden like, state, kind of where Natalie Portman adopts um, the male character. Yeah. And he is going through a period of growth and she leads him through it. Yeah. Would he have been capable of achieving it without her? Maybe not. Does she get anything in return? No. And that's kind of the like male ideal that gets encapsulated in the manic mm. pixie oh, dream where girl. He doesn't have to. He doesn't. I owe guess in her both of anything. the cases I outlined. Yeah. He doesn't have to do anything for he her. He doesn't have to. She doesn't get anything from the relationship. She only works. Maybe there's there's a third variance on there where we save each other. Um. She's looking for a she's like searching for a companion that is worthy of her that can do the same thing for her and so she sees the potential for this slightly broken person to be the person that can you know reciprocate the we're broken together characters well not necessarily we're broken together but like i'm missing something from my life and you need some help. You need a guide yeah. like through whatever trauma you're processing right now. I can help you process that trauma and I can see the potential for you to provide what I need yeah. to continue growing too. I think you're so going to be hard pressed to find that. I found you. I, well, th- that's real life. I'm talking about, <laughs> I'm talking about um, in, a, in a movie. Yeah. Women can't be broken. And if you are broken, you're broken irrevocably. And then someone has to find out a way, find a way to love you, even though you're broken. You don't get to get fixed. You only get to fix other people. It's the 
women should be grateful that men love them at all trope. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, that's a whole podcast. <laughs> that's a whole, the, the, the way women and relationships are portrayed in modern media is a shit show that needs to be broken down and discussed. And I was ecstatic in the entire Barbie movie, which we haven't talked about the fact that we saw Barbie yet, but we loved Barbie so fucking much for so many different reasons. And one of them was that she didn't need to fix Ken. And they don't end up together. In and the they end. don't end up together. Oh, spoiler alert. Oh. Well, I think you kind of figured that out. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's implied from the trailers. But she didn't need to fix him. He ultimately had to fix himself because your vagina isn't magic and it doesn't put a man back together again. And you don't need to keep providing it like it's medicine. Right. Yeah. But back to the episode. <laughs> because Nick is like... Well, I, th I think we got caught up in that because this is kind of the most overt trope. Yeah. That, especially romantically, personally for Nick. Yeah. Um, that has been portrayed in one of these episodes. Yeah. I guess that's especially not Jeanette. Right. I was going to say, the only other long-term relationship we see portrayed at all is Jeanette, and Jeanette is no one's fucking manic pixie dream girl. Right. At all. Which she says in just a minute, because uh, Nick is so overcome by how hot it is when somebody else talks about him that he start, he makes out with Serena. They start kissing. Yeah. And then we get this cool transition where we go from the kiss with Serena and Nick to a kiss of somebody in the Raven, and when they break apart, Nick and Jeanette are behind them. And we kind of zoom through those characters to yep. get to Nick and Jeanette. And once again, here's somebody influencing the visual imagery of how this these scenes are shot. Yeah. And is it Gare or is it the intern who doesn't know, know what they're doing? But it's, it's nice. I like it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. We really, we toss the dice a little this episode and I think it works. Um, and Jeanette is basically like, was she a victim though? She was getting into. Never. I don't believe that. What happened was my fault. Nicola, you can take the blame for everything if you like, but I'll tell you, she's no innocent. She never was, not even before you. She was a victim. So was I. So were you. So is every vampire in the beginning, seduced by one thing or another, ignorant of the consequences. But this is more than cute, isn't it? Was she? Or did she kind of know what she was getting into? And Nick is like, no, no, she was a victim. She was innocent in all this. And Jeanette was like, okay, well, so was I. So were you. So was every vampire at the beginning because we were led to believe that our life would be one way. And so we went with it. But there's absolutely no way of conceiving what your life is going to be like as a vampire until you're a vampire. So ultimately, we were all thrown into lives that we didn't expect. Uh, okay. So there's the whole like existential term called thrownness. Yeah. T-H-R-O-W-N-N-E-S-S, -S, which is the... The experience of feeling like you were just thrown, your your being was just thrown into a random time and place and body. Yeah. Because each person, it's random where, when, 
and who you wake up as, yeah. as a person. Yes. And so we all have to like deal with these sets of constraints imposed by reality that are just could be anything. Yeah. And that's part of existing. Yes. Uh, and so in a way, I've, I've heard someone phrase it as, we're all oppressed by reality. By, by reality. Just, by the randomness you, of existence. Yeah. And that's something that everybody kind of has to accept at some point to be able to grow because uh, you know, c constraints are the the mother of creativity. Yes. And that's when you can really make cool stuff is when you have a lot of constraints and you accept those constraints and work within them and explore what, yeah, what push, you can do with push it. Push the boundaries you're given. Uh, and so Jeanette's like, we're, that that's everybody, Nick. Yeah. Uh, have, yeah. Have you not realized that? Have you that? looked in the fucking mirror lately? And he's like, God, all the time. <laughs> <laughs> But this I don't is, think about anybody but myself. This is when uh. we start our like secondary theme, which is Nick is trying to get everybody to believe that this is a crisis situation and literally no one gives a shit. Because he's like, well, she's around a bunch of mortals. And Jeanette just looks around the club and goes, yeah, and? Like, and who do you think all these people are? Who do you think all these people are? <laughs> who are all of your coworkers? Yeah, who do you work with on a daily basis, Nick? There's more mortals than we are. We are all surrounded by mortals all the time. And Nick is like, yeah, but it's a problem. Like, like Nick, have you ever spent large periods of time among mortals? Have you ever found yourself interacting with a mortal that you're attracted to and you make out with them? Yeah. Huh, Nick? Huh, Nick? Has that ever happened to you? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And so she continues. She's like, well, maybe what you're trying to say to me, because I'm trying to give you the BOD, I'm trying to give you a little benefit of the doubt here, even though you're clearly not, you are not equivocating. You are not telling me exactly what's bothering you. You're trying to mask it under the fact that she's around mortals, which is bullshit because we're all around mortals all the time. And she's like, well, you said she shared your soul. You felt like soulmates. You felt like you understood each other. Perhaps she also shares your quest. And Nick is like, oh, I think oh. I need to go see LaCroix about this. <laughs> I've never thought about another person before. <laughs> <laughs> what is this like? My head hurts. Oh, I need to go see LaCroix. Ow! Maybe I'm dying. <laughs> Daddy, I need help. <laughs> And then we get another flashback. And here we start to see the problem is Serena is asking Nick to give her eternity. Immortality. Immortality. This is why it was important for her to say, I want you to knock me up and then be an absentee dad. Think you I can just handle need, that? I just need a male biological donor because yeah. I really want a child, but I don't need a fucking man in my life. Right. If she didn't want to explain it to him that way, she could have just stopped begging him to make her immortal and give her eternity. Which, to be fair, she had absolutely no way of knowing that she was begging a vampire to make her immortal. She's just talking to a dude she thinks is like a fly-by-night. Like, right. I'm going to have I, this one night I'm stand. imagining this in like... Early 1900s, like, French, like, they're in Paris, right? Yeah. 
So she might be just speaking with like flowery French metaphors yeah. about eternity, like. The French for orgasm is little, little death. death. Yeah. They obviously have like heavily metaphorical language about a lot of things that could literally be like a pun or a saying or a proverb that French people use. Yeah. Like back then to me and like, I want, you know, like legacy, like my impact through the generations or something like that. Yeah. But Nick, it just goes right over his head. Right. He's like, oh, you want to be immortal? Okay. Yeah, I can do that. That's no problem. And I think what she's expecting is to have a guy who's like, yeah, baby, whatever. You want to be immortal? Sure. Whatever. Whatever you want to hear. Right. That's she's what I'm going to tell like, you. Yeah. Talking dirty to him. Yeah. She's basically just like, yeah, I want to do it. I want to do it. And Nick is like, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. We can do it. I can make you immortal. That's totally on the table. You're hot. We could be together for a long time. It's right. And great. Her talking to a mortal man. Yeah. There's no there's no equivocating on what you, she's getting at. Right. You don't need to clarify. The equivocation that. only comes from the fact that he's concealed or he he has omitted He thinks she knows. Right. Yeah. He has omitted explicitly stating that he is a vampire. Right. Like communicating that clearly to her. And that is creating this gap in their understanding. Yeah. Well, it turns out to be a pretty fucking big gap. Sorry, Nick. Uh, she's not a mind reader. <laughs> turns out nobody is. So we, except LaCroix, maybe. Mm, there's mind reading. And then there's understanding someone so well that you can, you, your model of them in your head can predict fairly accurately what they're thinking i have to imagine manipulating nick isn't like playing chess it's, it's like, like playing checkers, checkers. <laughs> <laughs> so i'm sure the quas model doesn't need to be very complex but we come back and it's natalie and skanky and i always love it when we have time with just them without nick and natalie is like do you know where nick is and skanky's like Natalie, does Nick ever fucking tell me where he's gone? Please do let me know when he's planning to start keeping me up to date about where he is, because I'll be happy to know. And they have a brief discussion because they have both picked up on the weird romantic tension. Uh, on Nick's part, romantic. On Serena's part, just straight hate. But they've picked up on this weird hate. History. History tension. Yeah, that's going on. And Skanky's like, oh, it's just like this girlfriend I had when in sixth grade. And I used to write her poems, slip them in her locker. And We're, Natalie's like, oh, here we go. Deep dive on Skanky. Oh, that's character. so cute. And she's like, what was it? Roses are red? And he's like, Psh, come on. That's amateur shit. And so he, re he like remembers one of the poems that he wrote. And it's so cute. So did he tell you where he was going? Come on. Since when does Nick ever tell me where he's going? And I was not about to ask. You know, this is a classic Julie Dershowitz, if I ever saw one. A who? Julie Dershowitz. I had a gigantic crush in her in sixth grade. I used to write her notes, you know, and slip them into her locker through the ventilation slots. <laughs> wrote some really embarrassing stuff. Like? Poems, you know? You wrote poems to a girl? Natalie, I was in the sixth grade for crying out loud. Well, what did they say? 
I can't remember. Oh, you remember, and you will. Tell me, let's see. Roses are red. Better, better. Prove it. No facet holds the light. No fire burns quite as bright as the love I have for my jewel. That's sweet. That's embarrassing. She found out it was me. She told the principal he read every poem over the PA system during lunchtime in the cafeteria. Talk about sheer humiliation. I was in bed for a week. I couldn't face anybody at school. Believe me. This is a sweet little moment. Yeah. And he says, yeah, it was great right up until the principal found out it was me and read them all on the over, over, the, the, loudspeaker. over the loudspeaker at lunch when everybody was there. And so Skanky sits down at his desk presumably to do police work, which Nick never does. And so Natalie sits down at her at Nick's desk so they can continue their conversation because Natalie is feeling a little bit jealous. Because she's oh, like, yeah. um, she is. Do you think Nick loved her? And Skanky's like, I thought women were sensitive. Like you didn't pick that <laughs> you're, up. You're, you're not, you're not getting the vibes. It's basically a giant neon sign, Natalie. And Natalie's like, Oh God, why does he, why does he literally have a crush on everyone but me? And she just turns to the computer and she pushes the space bar twice. She goes, click, click. And then she goes, Cohen, Captain, I think we have a breakthrough here. Well, what did you do, Natalie? Here, here's what I'm imagining. Okay, so <laughs> this is a time before computers really like had a hibernate mode and like yeah. went to sleep and you just hit a button to wake it back up. But that's what I'm imagining happened here, is that her computer had gone to sleep. She hits a button. It's to... Nick's computer. Ooh. Okay. Okay. Yep. Sorry. She hits the space bar, and Nick always leaves his computer logged in. Yeah. Of course he does. He probably forgot his password. He... <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking, maybe it's possible that Nick doesn't even know how to use a keyboard, but we see him several times. Uh, typing typing yeah and like he obviously knows how to use computers because when they break into the he breaks into that doctor's office and is like yeah way back uh, in browsing the database yeah to get medical records whatever but he probably just has he his computer stays logged in and it he just has his email open right and so then she just wakes up the computer and and then oh Here's a new email. And yeah, it was he Nick was copied on it and Natalie was copied on it and Skanky was copied on the email. Yeah. And so, oh, it's an email about the test results. It's not even about test results. Oh. Uh-uh. It's about the fact that Calvin Trilling was in a study. Oh, in, the chromosome the yeah, XYY. He was in an XY, XYY study in prison. That's right. Yeah, because he has an extra Y chromosome. And Natalie is like, oh, my God, that's a faster test than DNA. I can a do chromosomal it. comparison. Yeah, yeah, a chromosomal comparison is going to be a lot faster. And Cohen's like, do it. Go. Thank you, Cohen. She's in. They're in the Cohen zone of influence, which is, you know, that radius around her office. So where, Cohen where can she, come out and interact. She is the deus ex machina. To push the plot forward. Yes. that That's her zone of, of deus ex machina right there. And then we cut to Nick, who Nick is hanging out in a hard hat construction zone in his convertible with the top down. And there's like, 
sparks from welding falling behind him. And then he does this like creep around the construction site thing where he yeah, has this his, is super creepy. He has his hands clasped in front of him. But the hand on the bottom is like stretched out flat. That's not like how you do hands. that. It's like monster hands. It's like I, I don't know. I don't know why that It makes him look extra suspicious without it being obvious what about his posture looks suspicious. Yeah, well, he looks super sus because he's creeping around. And finally, he hears Serena hanging out with Trilling. And she's like, man, why'd you push him off? And he was like, because he was a douchebag. <laughs> and Serena's like, you you shouldn't have done that. And he's like, well, he's not going to come between us. And she's like, yeah, he could if they figure out you did it and they arrest you. And Nick is like, I knew it. <laughs> I knew he killed him. And he's like, uh. Trilling is telling Serena, like, I can't wait much longer. Like, I really want to bang you. And she's like, just one more night. It's fine. We'll do it tomorrow. I want it to be special. I want it to be on the full moon, you know, for reasons. And then we go back into a flashback again because Nick is, Nick hears them making out and it reminds him of the time that he made out with Serena. And so I did that once. I did that once. And so this is when she's really begging him for eternity. She's like, come on, do it. Just make me immortal. Give me eternity. And Nick's like, I already said yes. It's fine. But he does try to send her away. He's like, look, we're getting a little hot and heavy. I've got instincts. I don't have like a real tight rein over. This could get kind of um, deadly. Uh, I think you should probably leave. And she's like, nope, I've already chosen this. This is my choice. And I want you to go through with it because I picked you specifically for this. And then we come back to the present and she's telling Trilling, like, look, just 24 more hours, 24 more hours, and then we'll be able to do it. And then we cut back to the, we're kind of cutting back and forth between the flashback because then Nick is like, making out with her and finally he's like okay point of no return and then he does the like head back snarl and when he goes to bite her we cut to nick in the present drinking from a bottle of it's a really cool transition because at the end of the fang scene his head's going down yeah and then they have the camera lined up so that when they transition his head's going up yeah and so it's like his head bounced right and he transitioned and it was yes it was yeah. uh, a very effective it was transition. A real, the transitions are really cool. In season one, we had a bunch of cool transitions. Remember the one, um, I think it's only the lonely, where we have the like reporter outside and then we zoom in on the reporter and when we zoom out, the reporter's oh, on, yeah, the on the TV and yeah, they turn the cool. TV off. That one was cool. We had a bunch of cool transitions and then we've kind of gotten vanilla. And now Did we're we back already to... get the like imaginary LaCroix in the car with him? Scene? Not yet. Not yet. Not okay. yet. No, no. <laughs> We have got, now we have real Lacroix because it turns out Lacroix is like sitting in his gothic chair upstairs. Oh yes, he yes. has like in his apartment. Yes, yeah. he has like a, the kind of chair you would find in a church. Next to it is like a piece of lawn furniture, like a lawn side table thing. It's a Lacroix sitting up there, um, and he has a glass of blood, which is Nick's, and he's like, "Oh, this is perfectly dreadful." <laughs> he just sets it down. <laughs> And I guess Nick must have learned never to enter through the door from his dad because LaCroix clearly came in through the skylight. The fucking skylight. If he just boarded the skylight up, his his hotel, his hotel, God, his apartment would be like a fortress. There's, there's no way in except everybody comes in through the skylight, which clearly the, leaks. The too. mortals come in through the stairs. 
Oh, that's true. Next to the service elevator. Right. But they have to come in that way. What are they going to do? Fly up and come in through the skylight? And like when we see the skylight this time, there's water damage around the edge of the skylight. Which you might not have seen on a CRT screen. Maybe. I don't know. Like it's not even a it's not even a good skylight. Like why <laughs> does he still have the skylight? <laughs> but LaCroix's getting a little judgy. He gets a little sexist because he's like, so what attracted you to her, Nick? Was it the cut of her suit? Was it her mustache wax? <laughs> was it the way she cut her hair? LaCroix has a taste. Yeah. And it, he has a type that he goes for. And I think he expected Nick to go for that same type based on how he went for Jeanette. Yeah. And uh, Nick has a little bit more nuance about the personality type that he prefers. Right. Rather than just the appearance type that LaCroix has. Well, I would say that Serena and Jeanette are very similar temperament-wise. Yes. It's just that Jeanette's more feminine presenting. Right. And so when Jeanette got like so easily lured Nick, LaCroix was like, ah, I see you also like very feminine, very attractive women. Yeah. Great choice. Excellent. Excellent. We shall have fun together. Where really Nick was like, ooh. Here's this dark, mysterious woman who I could have hours of conversation with. <laughs> hours of conversation <laughs> about me. Can we talk about yeah, me? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Uh, and so there, there was yet another equivocation between Nick and Lacroix about what Nick was attracted to. Except Nick does equivocate in this scene because he clarifies. Well, they, they are both equivocating. Well, wait, wait. He. He, he clarifies the equivocation. Well, first he clarifies and says, no, I was attracted to her fire, her independence, her... Okay, so clarifying is the opposite of equivocation. No, no. I'm talking about when Nick or LaCroix says, I'm so glad you finally decided to take advantage of my wisdom. And Nick says, no, your age. Could it be that you're finally beginning to appreciate my wisdom? Your knowledge... Your age. Lacroix, I am asking for your help. And I'm enjoying it. I really am. Ooh. And your knowledge, but not your wisdom. So in this case, Nick does make sure they are both on the same page. Right. I didn't call you here because I thought you were wise and in any way better than me. I just acknowledge you have more life experience than me. Right. And this is another case where he's trying to get LaCroix all riled up. And he's like, she's with mortals. And LaCroix's like, and why is that a problem? Are you jealous? You jealous she's hanging out with, with people with a heartbeat? And Nick is like, oh, why does nobody else see this as a problem? Well, maybe Nick, because it's not actually a problem. And you're trying to shoehorn this problem in there. And he's like, LaCroix, I am asking for your help. And LaCroix goes, oh, yes, I know. <laughs> and it's becoming a problem. <laughs> no, it's later. He's like, oh, I really later. likes it right now. He's like, yeah, I'm enjoying that. And this is when he's like, can she mate with a mortal? Because he already asked Jeanette. And Jeanette was like, yeah, sex isn't happening. Like, uh, I'm I'm 100% on this. Well, she's like, is he still alive? And Nick's like, yeah. She's like, they haven't done anything. Then, then they I, haven't done it. I promise. As yeah. a female vampire, I promise. There has been no, uh, right, nor like regular sex, right? Because there's no way he'd still be alive, right? 
And Nick asks again. He asks Nakua. He's like, can she mate with a mortal? And Nakua says, well, depends on what she's after. You can mate with him once. (laughs) 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 And then we cut to the flashback where we find out what this history is. We finally figure out where this is all leading. Why there's drama between them. Why there was drama. And it's because Serena wakes up as a new vampire. And he's like, I gave you what you asked for. And she goes, oh, a baby. And he's like, what? What? (laughs) What? (laughs) And then she's like, I dreamt the most horrible dream. Your teeth were all weird. Your eyes were all weird. And then she touches her neck where we have terrible fang makeup. God fucking damn it. At least the alignment and distance is plausible. Okay. Well, it looks like somebody glued red hots to her neck. So whatever. But but the position, it would have looked better on a CRT screen. Okay. All right. Fine. Fine. And she's like, holy shit. What did you do? And he's like. I did what you wanted me to do. I did what you, you asked me to do. You said you wanted eternity. You said you knew what I was. And she's like, yeah, I thought you were a cad. I thought you were going to bang me and then leave. I thought you were a kind of guy who liked the night. Well, I like the day. I thought you were the kind of guy who traveled all the time. I don't want to go anywhere. I thought you were going to let me raise our baby in peace. That's what I wanted. I wanted to get knocked up. And then for you to abdicate responsibility and disappear over the horizon... Thinking you were getting one better on me, but that's actually what I wanted all along. Uh, not this. And he's like, precision of language, Serena. <laughs> I did not know that that's what you wanted. I mean, you said you wanted eternity. I thought you literally meant eternity. I mean, I think that there's fault on both sides here. Right, right. She is, I'd say her fault is less. <laughs> yes, yeah. Because... Yes. There was no plausible way for her to know what right. he was. Right. In the sense of a vampire. Uh, whereas he knew and he did not clarify he that. He didn't clarify it. When she's when he's like, you know what I am? You're a man of the night. Blah, 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 blah. Oh, and, and you know, like. I'm not human. What? Yeah. You are you sure you want to be with someone who's not human? He could have made sure, like right. had he, her spell it out. Right. He could have like really I guess there but th- that wouldn't be Nick the Brick. No. No, it wouldn't. But there are ways that he could have guided the conversation where he could have asked her enough questions to get her to fully explain herself without revealing the fact that he's a vampire. Right. But just by asking her questions that would either be answered with, I don't know what you're talking about, or yes, I know you're a vampire. Well, I can see how in the 1920s, culturally, she doesn't want to come out and say, I want to be a single mom. Right. Yeah. Right. But he could have, you know, done his, like, his number one favorite thing to do, which is ask her questions about himself. About himself. Yeah, he could have. I mean, I say I think there's fault, but also no, because there's no way for her to have known that she was asking that. She To her, she was just using a metaphor. 
which right. is what Lacroix says. He goes, ah, tripped by a metaphor. Ah, angel's problem <laughs> is when you don't say exactly what you mean and two people are talking about different things. Isn't that a bummer? It sucks. Oh, well, I'll see you later, Nicholas. And Nick is like, wait, 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 I have another question. What is she up to? And he's like, well, what did she want before? She goes, he goes, yeah, baby. She wanted a baby. And LaCroix goes, hmm. Oh, and Is that not what she wants now? Does she want And the you same think thing that's now? changed? Mm. Mm. Well, anyway, I have a radio program to go to. <laughs> Tune in at 1 a.m. <laughs> He's like, no, it's fine. This one's already tuned to all the time. <laughs> and, but I love this part because LaCroix stops to talk to him again. But he's standing by the door where Nick like stabbed him and burned him and the burn mark is still on the door the burn mark is My still on the door favorite continuity touch is that we leave this burn mark on the door and no one ever comments on it like was not like except when are, you, when are you gonna erase my ashes off your door are we gonna leave that on there forever is this like a what was going on here but he gets him to kind of spill the beans which is there's some kind of myth where she has to mate with some kind of special mortal dude um, who's more man than man or whatever. And then if she can get prego, she gets to be, the baby gets to be mortal. She gets to have a mortal baby. And Nick is like, yeah, but what happens to the man? And LaCroix like, well, he dies. Obviously. I mean, obviously. And again, this is where Nick is like, isn't that a problem? And literally every other character is like, no. Why is that a problem? I don't understand. I don't know what you're talking right, about. The, Why would that be a Because the vampire characters that he's talking to are Jeanette and Lacroix. Yeah. And Jeanette and Lacroix are both like, um, and this is what I am. Fucking like, and. I'm a vampire. Yeah. Uh, I have sex with humans and I eat them. Yeah. Sometimes without the sex. But sex optional, the, eating not optional. That's. Yeah. It's like I'm a tiger in the jungle and I come upon you know, a, a prey animal. Yes. Okay. And I eat it. Yeah. End of story. But what if the animal dies? Well, yeah. And the, that's kind of <laughs> what happens, Nick. Right. And then we cut to Nick talking to Natalie. And he's like, what do you think, Natalie? And Natalie goes, um, I guess mortals don't hold the monopoly on old wives' tales. I love it when Natalie gets on her soapbox about science when she's talking to Nick. Like, there isn't a literal vampire standing right, right there. <laughs> oh, that can't possibly exist. That doesn't make any scientific sense. Nick raises his hand slowly. Uh, I am a supernatural creature. Maybe we could suspend disbelief for like a second, Natalie. I also don't make sense. Right. I also don't make sense. <laughs> and Natalie's like, well, what do you want me to hear? What do you want to hear me say? Like, what do you, what are you here to actually have me tell you? Like, what are you already thinking that you need me to say out loud to you? What is that why you're here? And then she gets a phone call and then she gets a phone call and Skanky shows up all at the same time. Cause Skanky, of course, has just been ditched. Well, Nick right. talked to LaCroix, he talked to Jeanette, he reminisced about the past for a little while, he went home and had a snack. Right, and he, this is kind of a close call, Yeah, because he, Nick and Natalie are talking about, you know, vampire business, Yeah, and then Skanky walks in. Yeah, and he's like, I should have known you'd been here, I had came to the morgue to find you, and Natalie is on the phone, she's like, can you get me the paperwork by tomorrow morning? Thanks! And she hangs it up, and she's like, listen, Trilling has... The third has Y, X, Y, Y, and the blood I found under the dead guy's fingernails, X, Y, Y. 
We got him. And Nick and Skanky are like, yes. So they run to the they run to the construction zone. And Skanky is in this because he's just trying to catch a killer. Because, of course, Nick has told fuck all to everybody, as usual. And Nick is in this because he believes that by arresting Trilling, he is saving his life. And for some reason, he is fixated on saving this one guy's life. This guy who's, like, literally a murderer. Yeah, who's making out with the chick he wants to make out with. Really, this is a little bit, we're tr- we don't know. And we're, we're kind of left to figure out, is it because he's genuinely concerned about the life of this one mortal or because he can't stand the idea of Serena being with anybody else? Is this about sex is possession or is this about um, like the sanctity of all life? So here's, I guess, here's the, um, here's my perspective on it where Nick is not being... <laughs> Like toxically masculine. Okay. Um, Nick recognizes that she, like him, does not want this vampire existence. Yeah. She wants to be human again, just like him. She's pursuing hearsay, myth of a potential way. We've had whole episodes of Nick chasing down this, yeah. you know, this story passed down through generations about, you know, how to turn a vampire into a human. And then here's her doing the same thing. But Nick has this extra constraint that because he's decided to be mortal. He also is going to follow through on the moral constraints of mortals. So he, in his quest to become human again, will also not compromise on those morals, which is he's not going to kill a mortal to become mortal. Yeah. And so he sees Serena on this quest to become mortal but she's like, I just got to kill a guy. Uh, sure. Okay. And Nick's like, no, don't, don't do that. You'll be like, you know, corrupting yourself or whatever. You're giving into the base temptations or whatever. Yeah. And he's trying to stop her from doing something morally reprehensible in her quest because he would not kill somebody to become mortal again. And, but, and then there's the angle of like, he doesn't want her to get what he's, so, okay, the, that's the less. He's uh, trying to protect her from herself. He's trying to protect her from herself. And then there's like the negative take on that where he doesn't want her to get something because he won't, he hasn't been able to do it himself. Yeah, and I don't, I don't. I'm not sure about that one. I'm not sure about that. That's part of the setup. I mean, that's obviously part of what we're setting up because this is a way for her to become mortal that he can never repeat. Right. He can't get pregnant under the full moon. And I think never. I think the the end of the episode supports the first case where 
he's trying to help her avoid making a making a decision that she may regret later. Right. Well, I mean, if she was turned in the 20s, she's, what, 70 years old? Mm-hmm. He's 800 years old. He already went through his period of, I can kill murderers. Well, if she was in her 20s, in the tr- okay, she I mean, might she's be 90s. 70 years old as a vampire. Yeah. yeah. And he went through his period of, I can kill bad guys. That's okay. I get to judge who's bad and who's not bad or whatever. And so that's her justification for killing this guy is, well, he's a bad dude. So who cares? Like, I'm going to use him and then I'm going to kill him and I'm going to be cool with it. And he's like, I don't think you're going to be cool with it. Because I did that one time and I killed this woman I really liked, um, Sylvain. And I kind of stopped killing people except for you. Obviously, I stopped killing people for a hundred years <laughs> with one minor exception <laughs> with my teeth, clearly. And, um, you know, I just don't want you to have to learn things the hard way when I can just tell you. And then you don't have to learn them the hard way. Right. I think that's kind of what we're going for is like, I, I don't want you to go through with this because if it doesn't work, you're never going to forgive yourself. And you have to live with yourself for a really fucking long time. I'm, I want to choose to go. With and that then her response to that. that is like. Unless it works. Right. Yeah. I'm never going to get this chance again. Maybe I'll feel worse about not having taken this chance. But they go and arrest Trilling. And Skanky gets beamed with a thermos. And then Nick takes off after him. And we get you're like, I'm your savior. I'm the one who's going to save your miserable soul. Because he's captured Trilling. And so now that Trilling is in lockup, he can't get killed under the full moon. Huh, huzzah. And so Selena, Serena, watches him get arrested. She's like, God damn it. They got him. <laughs> and so we go back. And Nick has gone back home. This kind of reminds me of, um, was it Dead Issue, where he went home? Oh, no, it was only the Lonely, where we had the uh, Euro minutes in the middle of his shift. So it looked yeah. like he went home, changed into his silk pajamas. Yeah, when there's this urgent thing happening. Played some golf and then got back in work clothes and went back to work. That's kind. He keeps going home. So he's back home again, and Serena shows up. He's sitting upstairs in the chair. He's got to, like, get LaCroix's scent off of it, so he's, like, <laughs> He looks up through the skylight <laughs> and looking back at him. It's Serena. It, it's like in um, the, the pilot. Dark Knight? Yeah, with um, where they're at the museum at the end. And the oh yeah, woman that Elise. Elise Elise is looking in. Elise the is looking in at yeah. Skanky and Nick through the skylight. And then she's like, <laughs> she flies. <Yeah. laughs> off. Also in Stranger Than Fiction, when Jeanette is watching the author and she looks up at the skylight and the quad is looking in through the skylight. Yeah. I'm telling you, this fucking skylight is a problem. Why did he keep it? Because <laughs> he looks up and Serena's looking in through the skylight and he's like, you know, I have a door, and she's like. I wanted to remind you that I have powers of my own. And he's like, I didn't need reminding. I kind of made you a vampire. I remember. And she's like, oh, okay, that, that we, that we understood. Okay, great. And she's like, you know what? I think I'm just going to come in and we can have a chat. And he's like, fine, come on, let's do this. Let's finally have a conversation, Serena. And this is where we find the explanation for his mantelpiece. I've complained about this mantelpiece before. Did it come with the apartment? Was it already there? Well, no, it didn't. Apparently they must've, banged against this mantelpiece and he had so many good memories about it he brought it with him everywhere he's gone i got the implication that he had been carting it around with him through the ages for longer than that oh and and he had you know moved it into that apartment 
that he brought Serena back to in Paris and, you know, from wherever he was before. And, and then he has kept it. I since guess then. she, she walks over and like fondles the dragon on the mantelpiece. And she's like, wow, I can't believe you still have this. And he goes, this doesn't make any sense. <laughs> he goes, some memories I'd rather forget. Well, then why did you keep the mantelpiece, Nick? Well, maybe, maybe some memories provide valuable information and he doesn't like of mistakes that he's made in the past that he doesn't want to repeat yeah. and he would rather forget the memory of making that mistake but yeah keeping it around keeps it kind of in his head so then he's less likely to repeat the mistake again sure like turning someone into a vampire <laughs> yeah when they just vaguely mention wanting to be immortal, he's like, whoa, I can do that. Uh, I don't know. I want to know if he has like a, this is a relevant question. We have a couple of episodes where the flashback are like them on the run. Him and LaCroix and Jeanette on the run, clearly. Like I am un unhoused right now and I'm just fleeing from the populace. And yet he has artifacts that date back to like Joan of Arc. Does he have a warehouse where he stores shit? Oh, I'm sure he does. Because he has a lot of stuff, right? He's like a hoarder. There's basically. probably like a vampire um, like self Aristotle. service storage. Like Aristotle, but I literally just store your shit. Now there's yeah. a niche. Find a niche, fill a niche. That would be a good one. <laughs> hey, if you're on the run, just give me your address. I'll go pack your stuff up. I'll store it. Whenever you're, you know, whenever you've outrun the pitchforks and torches, just let me know and I'll get it to you. Yeah, so she explains, you know, that I'm going to become mortal by getting pregnant because she she fleshes out the myth that LaCroix gave him a piece, but she gives them the rest of it, which is, well, you know, getting becoming pregnant will make me mortal, right? Like, if you think about right, it, that's, that's the, the only, only way, way the... for the seed to grow. I don't know what it is about the word <laughs> seed when we talk about getting pregnant or about male genetic material but when we refer to it as seed it bugs the shit out of me i need your seed that's how the seed will grow i can't stand it when sperm is referred to as seed i i don't know what it is but something about that phrasing just bugs the shit out of me and so the fact that she's like there's no other way for the seed to grow and he's like oh Oh, okay. And then she tells him, you have no right to stop me. You forfeit your right to stop me when you, oh, I don't know, did this to me. And Nick is like, well, I have to obey the laws. And she's like, well, thanks to you, they're not my laws. So I don't have to obey them. And then she goes and busts trailing out of lockup. And Nick is driving and he's on the phone with Skanky. And he's like, Skanky, can you go and check and make sure trailing is still down there? And Skanky's like, Nick, I already looked at the beginning like you asked me to. He's still down there. What was he going to do? Just leave? And Nick is like, but Please. you're, you're going to do Please. it anyway, aren't you, Skanky? And Skanky's like, yes, I'm going to do it anyway. Look, just check, will you? I don't need to check. I checked when I got in. He's in lockup. No one's gone in. No one's come out. The guy is not going to disappear, Nick. It would make me feel better, all right? It'll make me feel like an idiot. But you're going to do it. But I'm going to do it for you. How soon can you get in? Soon. And so this is when he goes 
down and the guard is in the cell. And so Skanky yells at him. He's like, "What? where did he go? And so we come up and Cohen and Skanky are talking to this poor guard. And the guard's like, you know, I had Skanky came at the beginning and then the police chief came. And they're like, the police chief? And he's like, yeah, the police chief. And Cohen's like, what did the police chief do? And he's like, I don't, yeah, know. I don't, I don't know what he did. But then all of a sudden I was in the cell. Hmm. And this is when Nick shows up. And we kind of drop all of the mystery about how he got out because they're like, he's not in the building. And they're like, oh, all right. And so Skanky's like, hang on, Nick. You knew he might be missing because you kept asking me to check. What did you know? Cohen's like, if you know something, you should share it. And Nick is like, oh, no, I don't know anything. If you know something, say something. He's like, I don't know. I just I just know he's with Serena. And I love the look that Cohen and Skanky share like. This is like the time he thought Elon Musk killed that person, right? Is that that what this is? (laughs) They are so used to his, I know things, but I'm just, uh, I'm going to hold on to my secret knowledge that they're just like, fine. He's lucky he gets results. Right. Or he'd be gone. in, In a police department where... They have like actual oversight, like crime, rep- like investigation report audits. Yeah. Like internal affairs would be like, what? What the fuck is this? What, what the fuck is this? How? After how forward did you... into the past, he should have been fired. He literally just called Skanky and was like, there's a dude in my trunk. Can you come get him? I'm going to go save this woman who previously had no connection to this case. But don't worry. This is going to get us Elon Musk. No, I'm not going to tell you how I knew that this was related. No, I'm not going to tell right. you and how so I knew that this was related. Internal Affairs just anyway. auditing these reports should be like, wait, hold on. You, Cohen, like you approved this action. What was your justification? Yeah. Oh, Nick had a hunch. Well, Cohen, Hold on. No, no, no. If we're gonna if we're gonna push this all the way out to they have oversight. Cohen got fired after she sent Skanky and an intern to to look at an, a whole warehouse where they had every reason to believe a violent serial killer was holed up. Yeah, yeah. That's all done, and then and then the rookie got killed. Right. Cohen's gone. If we have oversight, Cohen no longer works for the department. Okay, <laughs> so. We'll just, yeah. Or, or, no, there's no oversight. Oh, hold on. Yeah. Okay. Here's with all that explained about how if there's someone like actually reading and following up on their reports, investigation reports, crime reports, whatever. Yeah. Given that there have been no consequences for the, the, holes in their justifications that means somebody is making up some incredible bullshit reports skanky are we keeping a secret how good of a fiction writer skanky is (laughs) yes this is why it's important for us to remember i'm skanky knows he has to he either knows or he suspects enough that he's willing to make shit up. Skanky's only playing the fool. Right. It's, That's why he's the jester and not the fool. Right. Yes. He's He plays this character 
specifically so that everyone underestimates him. Yeah. And we've discussed that before. Right. Yeah, absolutely. But I think we've just clarified that he's actually playing this character on a whole nother level mm-hmm. because he is... Keeping Nick employed. He's keeping Nick employed <laughs> through the power of his imaginative bullshit report writing skanky's own personal brand of bullshit yes but we go back to the episode we go back to serena and clyde no trilling calvin 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 and clyde so speaking of bullshit poor trilling has ceased to be a character if ever he was a character and now he's literally a side piece a dude who is so invested in hooking up with this chick he will put up with anything because they're driving off in but her she's car she's been blue balling him for weeks <laughs> yes so the, yes okay. I, I, I was trying to say that concisely yes no yeah basically and he's like uh wherever babe you just yeah whatever uh-huh this is what she expected Nick to be, was just to be like, uh-huh, higher than high, peak of the fire. Absolutely, babe. Yeah, whatever you say, honey. Where mm-hmm. are we going? Are we going to stop soon? I'm already ready. Let's go. And then we go back to the precinct, and Skanky's like, well, here's her apartment. And Nick goes, yeah, but she's not going to be there. And Skanky's like, well, then why am I going to the apartment again? And Nick's like, hang on, I'm on the phone. And so then he's like, mm, 45 minutes? Okay, great, thanks. And he hangs it up, and <laughs> Skanky's like, who was that? And he was like... The Royal Meteorological Institute. <laughs> <laughs> because he wants to know when the, the peak, peak full moon is. The peak full moon's going to be. He's like, the peak full moon's in 45 minutes. That's how long we have to find her. And Skanky's like, what? What? <laughs> Do you have her address? Yeah. Basement apartment near Peter and King. No, she won't be there. Then why am I going? To see if there's anything that will tell us where she is. But where are you going to be? Yeah. Well, what side in Eastern Daylight Time? Thank you. Who is that? The Royal Observatory. We've got 45 minutes to find them. 45 minutes to what? Night! Where are what? you going? What? Yeah, because he says I'm going you... around. I know. He's like, you go to the apartment. Let's see if we can get a clue about where she is. We've got 45 minutes to find her. And Skanky's like, where are you going to be? And Nick's like, around. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, he doesn't actually use that uh, I know, it would be a good one. But this is where we get the LaCroix, like the phantom LaCroix. Yeah, like he's riding in the car, in the window. listening. At first, LaCroix, like yeah, visually, LaCroix is actually in the passenger seat. Yeah. And he's driving, listening to the Nightcrawler. Right. But then we get this like, then we actually like convey that LaCroix's not actually in the car it's just nick feels like lacroix is in the car with him because the the night crawler rhetoric uh is so um salient to nick yeah to this moment his trauma is so deep set he literally always feels watched by lacroix <laughs> so then so we have like nigel bennett actually in the car with him and then and then we get this like ghost like superposition of Lacroix just fading across yeah. the screen. Yes. Like Lacroix is passing through Nick's mind. Oh, sure. Yeah. While he's listening to the Nightcrawler. <laughs> he actually goes to see Lacroix 
And this is the part where he's like, you didn't tell me that getting pregnant would make her mortal. And the Qua's like, well, I didn't really think it was relevant since <laughs> you can't do that. And it's just a story. Yeah, it's just it's a story. It's one of those like Celtic bullshit stories. Well, I like this part where he calls, says, nature is so sexist. <laughs> <laughs> And he's like, she's going to kill him. And Laquaz like, yeah, and still don't care. And then he's like, okay, well, can you just tell me, like, tell me the actual myth? And Laquaz like, it's one of those Celtic monstrosities. It's a poem. And I, I don't know, something about higher than high, peak of the fire, man who's more than man. They got a bang. I don't know, something like that. You figure that shit out. I don't care. And he's like, higher than high. Okay, and he leaves, and Laquaz like, great, not even a thank you. This is when he was like, I'm asking for your help, Laquaz. And Laquaz like, yeah, and it's getting really fucking annoying too. Like, I just want you to go. I'm at work. I'm at work. I gotta work. I'm at- Dad's at work. You can't come talk to me right now. I'm in a meeting. And then we go to the flashback. Again, and this is when Nick is talking to Serena, and he's like, well, maybe, I don't know, if you, you're you immortal now, like, there's no no take backsies, so maybe you're going to like it. And she's like, why would I want to adopt your life any more than I would want to adopt any other man's life? Ooh, burn. Ooh. She's like, I didn't want to be like you. I wanted to be like me, and now you forced me into this life I didn't want, which is the entire thing I was trying to avoid by dressing up in a tuxedo already. Asshole. (laughs) (laughs) And I love this part because they arrive. So Serena and Trilling, Kelvin, arrive at the CN Tower. And he's like, okay, we're going to do it right here. And she looks up and he's like, up there? Oh, you are kinky. I'm sorry. How how, how badly does how badly does this man want sex that he's like She may be hypnotizing him too. Okay, well maybe because I can I can't say that any man wants maybe, I don't know. I, I can't speak for every man, but uh, no matter how hot a woman is, if you show up at like the Empire State Building and you're like, first we're gonna climb that building and then we're gonna have sex on top of it, he's gonna be like, I could literally go to a club and find a woman right now. Uh Guys can't though. That that's not like for pretty much any man the the option of I'm just gonna go find a woman to have sex with. Okay. That's not on the table. Well he's got Owen on the hook, he can't let this go. Even yeah. if it means they've gotta climb the sand one, tower. One first. in the hand is worth two in the bush. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, there was a lot of implications in that statement if you really think about it. I just, they all hit me all at once, one might say. Slapped me like a dick across the face. Okay, so, so she's like, yeah, we're going to go bang on top of the CN Tower. And he's like, heard, let's do this. And then we cut back to Skanky and he's in her apartment and he's like, oh, is this an apartment or a crypt? (laughs) (laughs) I'm just imagining like. Half of the lines Skanky says, yeah, followed by like the three stooges. Yuck, 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 yuck. <laughs> exactly. And then he gets slapped in the face. All right, so then he goes over and he opens the refrigerator and he's like, oh, she chills her red wine too, Nick. Ooh, nice French stuff. So first he indicated that he was aware she was a vampire by saying her apartment was a crypt. And then he let Nick know that he knew she was a vampire by saying she also chills her red wine. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Just kidding. He actually is just like, oh, it's good French stuff. And 
Nick, in the meantime, is fulfilling your prophecy of the reason he has a convertible is so he can fly well on his mobile phone and no yes, one will this question came up the in wind season noise. One, I think. Yes. You're... This was my my head cannon <laughs> for why he always drives with the the top down. Yeah. Is so that anytime he's on the cell phone in the car, There's whoever's talking noise. to him yeah. hears wind noise. And then it's yeah. Uh ignorable when He's flying and there's wind noise and he's on the cell phone. <laughs> Which means he's literally flying around talking to Skanky. Because he arrives <laughs> at the construction site and he's like, oh, I thought this was higher than high. And Skanky's uh, like, what? Peak of the fire. Yeah. Right? And so he's like, oh, there's lots of fire, you know, uh, metaphors yeah, here. Yeah. Uh, and there's really tall structures. That's it. That's why she's spending time at the construction site because okay, that's sure. that's the location she's picked. Right. Which fair that that would be a yeah. reasonable assumption. Yeah, and he says, oh, "I thought this would be higher than high." And Skanky's like, "What? What'd you say? Can't hear you over the wind noise." <laughs> he's, like, <laughs> he's like, "Higher than high? Does that mean anything to you?" And Skanky's like, "Well, it sounds like a Hendrix lyric." But then he sees a postcard on the refrigerator, and it's of the CN Tower, and he's like, "Oh." What about the world's largest freestanding tower? And Nick is like, oh, God, yes. And so he actually hangs up the phone and he flies. And at this point, they have gotten to the top of the CN Tower. She kisses, makes out He's with like, him so He's like, how are we going to get up there? Yeah. And she's just like, just hold on tight. And then she kisses him so passionately yeah. that he doesn't notice that he's being lifted right. hundreds of feet in the air. Apparently. And so, again, Nick finds them and she's like, you're going to let me do this because it's your fault that I'm having to do this in the first place. And I need you to just shut up and not don't stand in my way. You don't have to do anything. You just have to not stop me. <laughs> I love how Trilling is like, who the fuck is this guy? <laughs> and she's like, like why is he here? And then like, at, uh, Nick's like, okay, fine. And Trilling's like, Okay, cool. Now we can do it. <laughs> okay, fine. Whatever. That guy's not looking at us. He's got his back turned. <laughs> I know, he can't he turns see around. <laughs> and so, okay, As... so this scene, I think, reinforces my argument that Nick is trying to stop her because if he was in her situation with his framework for how to be immortal, yeah, uh, he would never kill somebody in order to gain his mortality. Right. And because he would regret the consequences of that. Yeah, it's after. not worth it. And so he wants to help her avoid making what to him is a regrettable decision. And so he's trying to help her. But then she's like, no, you don't understand. Like, why is his life more valuable than my than, life? Than my life. Why is his life more valuable? than the life of the child that I would be creating. Yeah. And and then Nick, I'm thinking in Nick's head, he's like, oh, oh, you'd actually be no. replacing him Wait, no. with a new living human. No, you know what? Okay. This is that scene from SpongeBob where Patrick goes, the, the, inter, the inner workings of my mind are an enigma and it just pans back to Patrick's thought bubble. thought bubble and it's just a open container of milk and the milk falls over and, <laughs> <laughs> and spills. <laughs> yes. 
the, there's a there's an Instagram reel for you. <laughs> just, just like just zoom out. <laughs> just have Nick say like you know cut out of yes. Garrett. The inner workings of my mind are an enigma yeah. in a thought bubble, and then have the thought bubble transition to a jug of milk <laughs> or, over. Yeah. You could even clip the thought bubble from sp- the SpongeBob video. Oh, you video. are over overestimating my real making abilities. But literally, uh, whatever, however, his inner workings were. He finally is like, okay, fine. And I think another support for your for your argument that that's what this is about is Lacroix straight up asks him if you could regain your mortality by just killing one guy, wouldn't you do it? Especially like a douchebag murderer. Yeah. You'd do it. And Nick's like, oh, maybe I would. Because he just turns around, which Trilling is like, good enough. And so they they literally have sex behind him (laughs) while he's standing there. He could fly away. (laughs) Just walk around the corner, dude. It's a circle. Not only is he standing there, he is remembering when he had sex with Serena. While there's moaning sounds in the background. (laughs) He's like, oh, I remember when I had sex with her. (sighs) While listening to the, because he's got really good hearing. He can hear people like across town. There's people 10 feet behind him having a consensual intimate encounter. He's absolutely hearing everything that's happening. While Lacroix is pontificating about the full moon and its effects on people. (laughs) (laughs) And Skanky is down at the bottom trying to get let in. He's like, does anyone have a key? Can someone let me in? There's no night guard. There's no security guard. It's closed. We need to get in there. How did they get in there? Her car's here, so they're clearly here. I need to get in there. Something could be happening. And then Serena stands up. Yeah, and turns finished. towards him. Yeah, she finishes. And she turns towards him and she's like, it didn't work. Because she's got the vamp eyes and she's got a bloody tear. And he's like, hmm, that sucks. I'm sorry for you. Because Serena's like, uh, <laughs> what about and that? I, so in, she gets up and she's like, it didn't work. I was like, uh, give it some time. I know. Like, like the, if the, you're actually waiting for like his seed. Uh, don't to- say seed. <laughs> Well, I uh, want to know, like, did he need to finish right when the moon was at its peak? Did conception need to happen when okay, the moon was at so, its peak? There so, was no details here. Since I'm always looking for, like, mechanistic explanations for how this works. Yeah. Maybe it's like, okay, at, like, at the full moon, like, if she drinks the blood of somebody who's, you know, um, has weird, uh, unusual chromosomes. Yeah. Maybe that triggers her to, like, ovulate. Spontaneously? Not, I mean, because yeah. it's it's the full okay, moon. but I mean, like... It's like a hormonal there's signal. There's a timeline for this shit. It's not like a machine gun, and all of a sudden it's in your, in your... God, I almost said womb, and I hate that word as much as seed. In your uterus, it's like a, it's got to travel. There's tubes. Right, right. The, there's yeah. tubes, and it takes a few days. Right. Right? It takes so, time, yeah. So he, this is where I'm going with it. Okay. So in my head, this is what's happening. Like, up until she actually, you know, 
does the deed and kills him, she's just a normal vampire. Right. It's only the conjunction of the full moon with, I don't know, the the higher than higher peak of the fire is probably just flowery language to to make everything else rhyme better. Celtic monstrosity. But it's probably the, like, the full moon in the supernatural aspect, cycles, whatever, along with, like, coinciding with killing, drinking somebody's blood, like, to their death, who has, like, certain chromosomal um, characteristics. Yeah. Triggers her reproductive system. Sure. And then she also has to have sex with him so that the the, the male biological material is present. Mm-hmm. And then... Thank you. In a few days, <laughs> when <laughs> when the egg gets into the uterus and the male biological component can fertilize it... Yeah. That's what, like, her reproductive system is activated, but she's still a vampire. Right. Like, on the outside. And so... Like, give it a week. I know. Give it some time. You know what? I'm going to make this real simple. This episode was written by a man. Mm. The same kind of man that sent a hundred tampons with the female astronaut who was going to be in space for like two days. Yeah. 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 Right there. There you go. Well, they didn't They didn't actually send that many. They were just like, well, how many do you need? Like a hundred? Like a hundred? Is a hundred enough? Are we... And the woman's like, what? Do you have any idea how this stuff works no 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 we we have we've deliberately um, we literally don't know st- stayed ignorant about how yes. this stuff works because yeah. it's gross ew, ew. Oh my God. so yeah this is the part where nick and serena have kind of a moment and he hugs her because she's like what have i done and we almost get a nip slip here I don't know if you noticed that. Oh, I saw the side boob. Yeah, because yeah. she's not wearing a bra and she's got a very loose tank top on. Mm-hmm. And we're kind of in a weird... Anyway. <laughs> I feel like we always point out boobs. I just want to... <laughs> Why stop now? So they're at the top of the CN Tower. They have a moment where they embrace and Nick is like, I'm so sorry. This is all my fault. And she's like, excuse me. The initial part of this is your fault. But you don't get to take the guilt of this. You don't get to take my agency from me. You don't get to take it. Because you're implying that this was your decision, that in some that you allowed me to do this. I was going to do this. You simply stepped aside. This th- this didn't happen because your permission right. was granted. You, did, you didn't make me do it. Yeah. You didn't interfere in right. something that I chose to do. You're yeah. you're still guilty of turning me into a vampire, but you're not guilty of this and you don't get to take that from me. And you know what? In fact, I don't want your help because he's like, well, I'll take care of everything. Don't worry about it. You just leave. She's like, I don't want your help. And then she just leaves <laughs> so that he has to take uh, care of it. So my my take on that was she's not concerned about the consequences. She's yeah. not sticking around. Yeah. She's she's going to yeet off to somewhere else. Right. And there's going to be a body on top of the CN Tower. Who gives a shit? And whatever. And like, sure, they they like have her name and her description, but- like she's she's cool with dressing like a dude with short hair. Yeah, she'll just so leave. It's fine. She can she can disguise herself. Like she's not she's not worried about the fallout from the death of this guy. Right. Because he was a douchebag murderer. Right. 
And she's not concerned about the fallout on her like person because she's not sticking around. And Nick is like, ah, she did want my help. She left the, you know, she this, left her mess. She left her mess <laughs> for me to clean she's up. She's not going to clean his kitchen is what it boils down to. She's yeah. like, peace, I'm out. And so then we go back to Skanky because Skanky still is trying to get in. He can't get in through this lock. And this is when Nick walks out of the tower and Skanky's like, what? Nick, how did you get in there? And Nick's like, I don't know, but it didn't, wasn't worth it because they weren't here. If they were ever here, they're gone now. And Skanky well, Skanky's just- Skanky's like, what are we going to find up there? And he's like, ah, there's nothing up there anyway. Yeah. yeah. And so Skanky turns slightly, sees her car, looks back at Nick and is like, okay, yep, they aren't here. And then we go to the precinct. Oh, he said, what did you find? And Nick goes, only what an easily led fool I can be. <laughs> I'm imagining Skanky being like, well, where's Serena? Like, her car's here. Oh, I guess she's around. Mm. Oh, oh. oh, okay, okay. Nick, I got gotcha. you. Got you. It's I time heard, for another Skanky special. <laughs> I heard the keyword. <laughs> and then they go back to the precinct. And this is funny that you mentioned it, because this is the part where Cohen is like, I'm looking for an overall explanation here. Yeah, this is why I brought it up. And Skanky goes, well, do you want me to just make something up? Because I can do that. I could just make shit up. Explain what happened, Skanky. I am in search of an overall explanation. I know, Captain. I could make something up. What does your partner think? Well, my partner and I really haven't discussed it. Is this going to go on all night? I ask, you don't quite answer. <laughs> You're doing it again. Doing what, Captain? Get some sleep, Detective. I think you need it. You know they cover for him all the time. Oh, yeah. Because he gets results. He doesn't actually harm anybody, except for the people that, like, fell on the pitchfork and the guy that fell on the... Like, <laughs> and the but guy that fell off the it's building. It's always the... It's always the bad guy that they are very, very sure from an evidence standpoint, yeah. is the bad guy. Yes. So that when, you know, when the murderer dies, you know, because they, you know, attacked when Nick was around. Yeah. <laughs> he didn't kill him with his teeth. He didn't kill him with his teeth, uh, exactly. Except Serena. <laughs> that one doesn't count. Well, I guess from the perspective of ending a... Ending the existence of an instance of mind. Yeah. Right. Which is the most generic phrase I can come up with for like a person. <laughs> yeah. F for, for the situation where he causes an instance of mind to be destroyed. Yeah. He hasn't done that with his teeth. In a hundred years. Because turning someone into a vampire maintains that instance of mind. Yes. Uh, yeah. So, technically, he didn't end Serena. Yeah. He didn't end her existence with his teeth. He just ended her mortality with right. his teeth. So, Skanky says, do you want me to just make something up? And Cohen's like, are you going to do this all night? And Skanky's like, what? She goes, I'm going to ask a question and you're not going to answer it. And he just laughs. And then she goes, you just did it again. And he goes, did what? <laughs> and he's just demonstrating that he is a master. Yes. Of, of avoiding 
incriminating information in his reports. Right. Just deftly maneuvering the bullshit spiral is what he's doing. And then, of course, Nick's not there to help him. Nick's Which, gone home again. Okay. Well, looking at it, looking at it retroactively. Yeah. It's always Cohen bugging Skanky about finishing the report. Yes. It's never Nick. She never bugs Nick about finishing the report because Nick is probably shit at writing the reports. <laughs> He's like, and then in I... In a non-suspicious way. God, then I f- walked. <laughs> it's like, uh, how did you cross... How did you cr- cover this like amount of distance Yeah, and jump over a fence and jump in the third story window right. in less than this amount of time? I had an Olympian decathlete yeah, do, do that same thing, and it took them like a minute longer than you said you did it. Uh, adrenaline, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Skanky's like, God, he should have let me written his testimony. Right. <laughs> we we should have we gone over should've his story first. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but we cut back to him. He's at his apartment, and he's got on his thinking robe. His, yep. <laughs> his thinking robe. Because he's like leaning on the mantelpiece, remembering the times he had with Serena. The night. The, the night. The one night that he had with Serena, which apparently had enough of a impact that he remembers it, but didn't remember it until this moment. I don't know. And that's the end of it. And since this is our longest episode since um, Nick Knight... I think we should probably wrap it up because everyone's like, oh my God, are they ever going to get to the end of this? <laughs> but, <laughs> no, uh, you wanted more of us. You got more of us. <laughs> I think we covered a lot of, this was a twisty, turny, not so twisty, turny. This was. Um, this episode was heavy on tropes. There was a lot and... of thought-provoking questions that didn't get answered that required right. us to discuss them. Um, because what was everybody's motivation? Motivation's unclear. Right. This this episode was Except really heavy in the nuances of conveyance, and you can't. You're always conveying more than you're saying. Yes. Because you can't. Yeah. Convey everything. You can't explicitly state everything. Right. So this episode was really heavy on the the conveyance of nuance and context without saying it propositionally. Yes. And that gave us a lot of room to riff. Yes, it did. And so I think we we did a good job conveying the nuance propositionally. <laughs> yeah. And I, we're just going to I'm going to cut you. I'm going to cut you right here cuz we're 5 from 2 hours and I'm going to add all my little um, Oh yeah, you got to add the clips. sound clips. It's going to yeah. be over 2 hours. Yeah, which I hope everybody loves cuz I have so much fun putting them in. So until next time, friends. Until next time. Bye. Bye.